Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we have started a couple of weeks ago a series of uh, messages, a short series on, uh, on the family uh, designed by God. And uh, we're learning about God's original human family that he created and designed to operate. And we're seeking to understand God's original design plan. And so Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help, meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help, meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 2, one of the places in a very practical way where we see God's amazing love is in families and how God created humanity in such a way that family would become a major, major role in our lives. And this morning we're looking again at the subject of, of family designed by God. A number of years ago, in fact it was in 1992, so several, several years ago, a lady by the name of Marilyn Quayle, you may remember that name. She was the wife of Dan Quayle, who was then the vice president of the United States. And Marilyn Quayle was asked to deliver a speech in Houston, Texas. And in that speech, Marilyn Quayle said, Not everyone believed that the family was so oppressive that women could only thrive apart from it. I sometimes think liberals are angry because they believe the grandiose promises of the liberation movements. They're disappointed because most women do not wish to be liberated from their essential natures as women. Most of us love being mothers and wives, which gives our lives a richness that few men or women get from professional accomplishment alone. Marilyn Quayle was speaking honestly from the heart about her love for family, her love for being a wife, her love for being a mother, and the, the amazing uh, satisfaction that brought to her in life, uh, the, uh, the accomplishment, the richness she described it, lives that, that are rich, uh, as a result of her experience as a wife and as a mother. And, and you know, when we think about God's amazing love for us and all that God did to make available salvation whereby he could save us from our sin and he could begin to mold our lives into the image of Jesus Christ, we begin to realize the, the value of family in the process of God doing that. God works through family dynamics in a powerful way in the developing and sanctifying of our lives. Passing from one generation to the next, 
to the next generation principles and truths about God and God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness that, that enrich our lives and grow us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking on Sunday mornings at a, uh, a series of message, messages entitled Family Designed by God. We're, we're going back, back to the blueprint. We're going back to the, the book of Genesis, to the very first family when God created humanity. And how he created humanity and placed them into a family dynamic. Made Adam and Eve a team together with great purpose to accomplish. And God so designed them to work together as a team. Not to be the same as each other, but to be complementary to each other. Their strengths and their abilities working together to accomplish the common goal that God gave to humanity. And so we introduced this a couple of weeks ago from the perspective of God creating Adam and Eve as a team and gave them an amazing purpose in life. And then last week we looked at the husband's role in that team as the captain of the team. And we looked at the Word of God and, and uh, sought to develop a, a, a picture of what it means to be a man from God's perspective. Uh, what a manly man is like in fulfilling the design, the, the, the purpose for which God designed him. This morning, I want us to take a look at the co-captain of the team. And, and I want us to, at the end of the message, I hope that what will end up on our minds is, wow, she is God's crowning creation. You know, I, I remember reading years ago how that it's not uncommon in design and production work for someone that is trying to produce a product that they will make a prototype before they make the final product. And the prototype helps them to find the flaws and correct the flaws so that they can make the final product just right. And the person commented, that must have been what God did when he created Adam as kind of the trial run. And then after he learned from his mistakes, now I'm speaking facetiously, God doesn't make any mistakes. He created Adam just the way he wanted Adam. But in tongue-in-cheek, someone had commented that, that uh, Adam was the, 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 the prototype, the rough drawing, but then he made his crowning accomplishment. He created Eve. The last thing he created, the crown of his creation, he created Eve. And I want us to see from God's word the role that she plays. And I trust that at the end of it, we will, we will recognize that she was God's crowning creation for humanity. In each of the previous messages, I have mentioned at the beginning of the message that as kind of like a disclaimer that I'm well aware that we live in a broken world and there are no perfect families. There are no ideal families. We're all fallen creatures learning and growing and speaking on the subject of family to a group of people that has some uh, intact families, some uh, uh, single uh, parent families, some whose background has deep scars and stains that, uh, that, are, uh, that are difficult. And speaking from God's word of the ideal family uh, can be like pulling a scab off something that I finally got healed over and forgot about. And, and I want you to know I'm conscious of that. I'm always conscious of that when I speak on the family. And yet at the same time, I know that we all need to know what God's design for family is because it's in such, under such attack today in our culture. And we need to know God's design, regardless of what our experience has been, whether it's been good, whether it's been painful. We all need to know how to counsel others. We all need to know how to pass to another generation God's ideal on family living and, uh, and, and we all 
can grow in whatever our background is uh, to grow and to learn and to develop and be more of what the ideal is even if we're at a place in life where we can't have the perfect ideal. And I just want you to be aware that, that my uh, heart is aware of that as we speak on the family. And this morning on this amazing co-captain, uh, God's creation of Eve. We've read the passage where God created Eve. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how that Genesis chapter 1 kind of gives us the, the, the uh, high-level view of what God did on creation week. And it has God creating Adam and Eve and giving them responsibility and dominion over God's creation. And the fact that God created Adam and Eve in his image. Uh, and then when we get to chapter 2, God begins to break it down into some details and supplies details that were just uh, glossed over in the big picture of chapter 1. And in chapter 2, we learn that God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. He didn't create them out of the same substance. And he didn't create him for the same purpose. He created Adam first and later he created Eve. He created Adam out of dirt. He created Eve out of a living substance, one of Adam's ribs. He created Adam to have dominion. He created Eve to help him in that dominion. And so they were created, not at the same time, not out of the same substance, and not for the same purpose. And yet the, the purposes are so powerfully interwoven together that when a, a, a husband, a godly man, lives towards the ideal of what God created him for, and when the woman does the same, the team is amazing that God created humanity to experience. And so this morning, I want us to visit two truths about the co-captain of the team. I want us to see the role of the co-captain, what what was her role what's the role of the woman that God created in the in in the garden of Eden and uh, the, the role for the majority of women uh, I, again there are some that we learn from the rest of the Bible that there are some that never marry there are some that God's design is to use them in their singleness to do things that they couldn't do as a married person that's that's not a bad thing that's 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 sometimes the perfect will of God for a person's life but the majority of people, uh, it's God's design and plan and purpose for them to be in the team of marriage. And so I want us to look at the role of, of, of Eve as uh, in her creation. And we find that in chapter 2, verse number 18. We read it a few moments ago. Let me read it again. Chapter 2, verse number 18. The Bible says, it is not good for man that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God said, I'm going to make a helper that's suitable to Adam's needs. I'm going to make a help that's meet or fitting or that will fit like a hand in a glove to where Adam and Eve will complement one another and fit together and work together. And Eve in her uniqueness will be suitable to help Adam in the role that I created Adam for. Now, some... Some sometimes suggest that that, that is demeaning or, or you know, uh, the woman's just the helper. And, and, and that would be a logical question that would pass over someone's mind as they read the word of God. That God created uh, Eve as a help that's meet for Adam. It seems like she's kind of second class. Until you read and study your Bible and learn that God... God's word says that God the Father is a helper. And another passage talks about Jesus Christ as a helper. And another passage that talks about the Holy Spirit as a helper. That's not bad company to be in, to be a helper. To be a helper like God the Father is a helper. To be a helper like Jesus Christ is a helper. To be a helper like the Holy Spirit is a helper. That's good company. God in no way demeans the value and the amazing role that he designed woman to fulfill by calling her a helper that suited to the purpose for which he created her. This is her distinctive role. Her distinctive role is to help her husband be successful. 
Her distinctive role is to, to be joined to his life so that she can help him in his dominion over God's creation. In the accomplishment of, why, of what God created him to accomplish. And it wasn't good that he would be alone in that work. And so God gave him a helper. She wasn't less intelligent. There are many, dare I say maybe even most, marriages where the wife is more intelligent than the husband. She, she was not less intelligent. She was not less resourceful. She was not without ideas and wise counsel. She was created perfectly to be able to suitably come beside Adam and enable them as a team to be effective and successful in accomplishing the perfect will of God for their lives. God vested in man leadership and he created woman to help man accomplish that leadership. To help man be successful in his leadership. There are times in history, there are times in some cultures where women have been horribly demeaned and are to this very day. There unfortunately have been times even inside Christianity where attitudes and even teaching has demeaned women as second class and exalted men. And that is unfortunate because that's not what God's word teaches. Her role as a helper that's suitable to being able to enable man to be effective is not second class, less intelligent or less resourceful. My, how she in her role helps a team to win games. And her role is not a diminished role. It's a valuable role and an important role. Now let's look at the second truth. The value of the co-captain to the team. What does she bring to the table? What does she bring to the team? How is her uniqueness going to enhance the viability of the team and cause the team to be able to be more effective in accomplishing the purpose of God for that team? What is the value of the co-captain? And, and there are three passages of Scripture, primary passages of Scripture we'll take a look at, as well as some others. You see them listed uh, under three, three um, phrases that speak of her value. And the first one has to do with her bringing life to the home. In Genesis, if you flip over a page to chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse number 20, Adam named his wife. He called her Eve. If you have a study Bible, you, your study Bible may have in the margin a definition of what the name Eve means. The word Eve means living. And the Bible makes that very clear in verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. If, if God leaves Adam alone, there aren't going to be any Cain's and Abel's running around. She is the source of life for the team. She is the one through whom God will produce all that is to come after her. His, her name is called living because she's the source of life. She brings life into a home. You guys know that when, if you're married and your wife's gone and you walk into the home, it's just a dead building. But when she's there, there's life. There's noise. There's activity. She breathes life into a, into a team, into a home, into a family. She's the mother of all living, of life. She's called life. She's called living because she's the source of all of that. Now I want you to turn over to the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want you to see the power of this. 
the power of her uh, value in a home, bringing life into the home. In 1 Timothy, and this passage of Scripture, the, the book of 1 Timothy is one of the books God wrote. We call them pastoral epistles. They were written to a pastor to teach the pastor how to pastor one of God's churches. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the pastor is being taught how to teach some things about family dynamics. And in verse number 11, look at verse number 15, then I'll come back to 11. Verse number 15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. That's an interesting statement. The, the wife is saved in childbearing. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, that doesn't mean she is, is born again because she bears a child or she's saved eternally from her sin because she bears a child. What does it mean she's saved in childbearing? She is the source of life. In what sense does that save her? Well, the context, verse number 11, the Bible is instructing that men are in a position of leadership and states that the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. The pastor is the, the pastor being taught to teach the church family and to, to organize the church in such a way that a woman is not the preacher, a woman is not teaching men or usurping authority over men. And you say, well, why is that? That's so out of sync with today's culture and the, the, the attitudes of our world in which we live today. What, 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 why is it that way? Why did God say that? And it goes back to the design of man as the leader, but it goes deeper than that. Verse number 13 says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And so in part, it has to do with the design at creation. God created Adam. Adam first gave him the responsibility of leadership and dominion. And then God created Eve to help him in that. So it goes back to the design of creation, but it goes deeper than that. Verse number 14 says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. We know from reading Genesis chapter 3 that it wasn't Adam that led the human race into sin. He followed his wife into sin. And the Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. Adam don't eat the fruit of this tree in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Eve brought death to humanity. That's quite a stigma to live down. You ever done something and it created a stigma that you seemed that you could never live it down? No matter what you did, you could never live down that stigma. Eve had the stigma of bringing death into humanity. Quite a stigma. But she shall be saved through childbearing. Life removes the stigma of death. The one who brings all of life into reality is the very one who brought all of death into humanity. And her Life-giving nature as a woman, a woman's role as the source of life is what saves her from the stigma of being the one who brought death into humanity. And so she is saved in her childbearing. The fact that womankind brings life Every new generation, every human being ever born was born of woman. 
Every human being that ever lived lives and exists because of womankind. And she is saved from the stigma of bringing death by the fact that she brings life. Do you realize the power of that? Every woman is a living testimony of God's grace. Life after death. Death is deserved. God's grace gives life. Every woman is a living testimony of the grace of God that brings life where death is deserved and replaces death with life. That's what my salvation was all about 50 years ago when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Jesus became that amazing one to me personally and relationally that we were singing about this morning. Jesus Christ brought life in the place of death. Eternal life in place of eternal death. Eve, woman, every woman in this room is a living testimony and a living example. A poster child of the grace of God in bringing life in the place of death. She's quite a creation. She's quite a unique person. She is life on the team. There's a second value. Not only does she bring life to the team, but I want you to understand she brings atmosphere to the team. I mentioned a moment ago that most men, I think, would attest that when they come home and their wife's not there, it's, it's kind of quiet. I mentioned last week that I I, send, I I sing to my wife whenever she's leaving or as she's gone. I sing to her on the phone, lonely. I'm Mr. Lonely. Uh, there's just something. There's, when, when a wife is not there, there is a, a, a sense of something missing. Life is missing. Atmosphere is missing. Now, my wife was just out of town for a few days, and, uh, and I didn't sing to her, Mr. I'm, I'm Mr. Lonely. But I did send her a link to, um, uh, what's his name that originally sang that that I mentioned last week. I sent her the link so she could listen to the original author sing, Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. There's atmosphere in, in, the, in the person of a woman. You see, in 1 Peter, did I mention 1 Peter? First, go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 um, this passage of God's word is dealing with, with husband-wife relationship and roles and, and, the, and, and it's in a worst case scenario. It's where you have a saved wife and an unsaved husband and the unsaved husband won't respond to the word of God. And so God is addressing the saved wife and the role that she can play. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 2 talks about uh, verse number one uh, talks about uh, the, the saved wife being able to win her husband to Christ through the lifestyle that she lives, through the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation, the old word conversation speaking more of words, but it's, it's words, but it's also lifestyle. It's also the, 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 the way we live in front of a person is, is our conversation. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, and the putting on of apparel. Now, those things make a woman beautiful, do they not? Her hairstyle is a part of her beauty. Uh, her jewelry is a part of her beauty. Her outfit that she wears, the, the choice of her wardrobe is a part of her beauty. And, uh, and yet God says, let not that be the thing that is most beautiful. Let not that be the thing that the husband thinks of when he thinks of his wife. Let, let it not be the, the adorning that is outward. Verse number four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Here the Bible speaks of a beauty of a woman that is more beautiful than her hairstyle or her choice of jewelry 
or the beautiful outfit that she chose to wear. Those are beautiful. But what is more beautiful is her heart. It's who she is as a person. It's how her heart displays itself. And God chooses two words to describe that. He chooses the word meek and he chooses the word quiet. Two interesting words. The word meek is a, is a word that has fascinated me over the years of, of Bible study. The, the original language word that is translated meek has been, known, has been claimed by grammarians as being one of, the, one of the more difficult words to get into the English language. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the rhyming of the word, some people think a meek person is a weak person, a mild, weak person, a pushover, someone that doesn't assert themselves. They're, they're meek, they're weak, they're mild. And that's not at all what the word meek means. The word meek speaks of a person who does not exert their own self-will, but yields to the self-will of another. It speaks in relationship to God that, that I come to the point in my life where I lay down my arms and say, God, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm a sinner. Only you can fix this. I yield my heart to you. Would you save me? And the word is actually used in salvation passage about that yield. That's the point of salvation. When my self-will, I can do this. I can earn my way to heaven. I can be a good enough person. I can accomplish this. And when I finally yield my heart to Christ and say, God, I can't. I'm a sinner. At my best day, I deserve hell. And I yield myself to, to God. And God saves me from my sin. This word speaks of a yieldedness. It speaks of the ability to, to not be demanding. And what God, God uses this word of the heart of a woman as that which makes her extremely beautiful, even in the eyes of an unsaved husband. When her beauty, what she brings to the table is a yieldedness, a meekness, a sense of not being demanding or trying to domineer, but rather being meek and yielded to the man that God joined her to, that they might become a team working to accomplish God's purpose for life. He also used the word quiet. The word quiet is another interesting word. Uh, there, are, there is a word that's used in the Bible that speaks of tranquility, from outside influences. Peace. When, someone, when the enemy lays down their uh, armaments and, and there's a lack of attack from outside. This word speaks of a tranquility that comes from the inside. Doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. Doesn't matter what the enemy's doing. Doesn't matter what armaments they have aimed at me or that they are fighting against me. Doesn't matter the situation that the outside brings. This word speaks of a tranquility that arises from within a person where regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the outside, regardless of how I'm treated, regardless of what is done to me, I am able to be tranquil. I am able to be quiet and have a quiet spirit in the face of unbearable pressure from without. And God so designed a woman that yielded to the Spirit of God when she's a spiritual woman. She has the capability of bringing into the relationship of a marriage the ability to be yielded and the ability to be quiet and tranquil. That is so valuable in a home that brings such richness to a home when a wife lives out that, that atmosphere, produces that atmosphere by her life. That's strength of character. That's a lady of elegance and dignity. That is some crowning creation by God 
when he made woman with the capability of creating the atmosphere in which her family lives. Then I want you to notice one other uh, truth about the value of the co-captain. And for this, I want you to turn back to the Old Testament, to Psalm 128, a psalm that I refer to often when, when teaching, preaching, or counseling, or talking to people about the family. One of the greatest psalms of family life. And I want you to see from this psalm the power, the value of the co-captain in the realm of resourcefulness. The realm of resourcefulness. Psalm 128, verse number 3 says, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house. At the center of the home, I've, perhaps you've heard me teach or preach on the entire psalm, the picture of the wife as a vine by the sides of the house is not a picture of a woman outside the home growing up the side of the house, exposed to the storms and the winds and the hot sun. That's an architectural picture that we get from a Western mind. When we read this from the mind of the people who first read this in a biblical culture, this was a vine that was growing up the inside wall of the courtyard. It was the very heart of the home. It was the center of the home. And, she, and the vine was growing up in the inside of the home. It was blossoming. It was fragrant. It was bringing all kinds of fruitfulness and resourcefulness at the very center and heart of the home. That's the picture of the architecture of, of, of what would have been true. Uh, about this psalm when it was written. And it emphasizes that she is a fruitful woman. She brings such value of resourcefulness into the home. Now, the psalm as a whole is written to the husband. And it's written about the blessing of God on a man who walks in the uh, ways of the Lord and uh, fears the Lord and walketh in His ways... And he'll eat the fruit of his labor. His, his spirituality will produce fruit. The fruit that his spirituality will produce is a wife and children that are described in the middle of the psalm. And then verse number 4 says, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. So if a man does what God says a man is to do, God's blessings on such a man's home will be a wife who is resourceful and children that are um, uh, close to the family and independent at the same time. Amazing characteristics given here in this psalm. What I want you to notice, though, is the resourcefulness. She is fruitful as a fruitful vine. Oh, the resourcefulness that a woman brings into a family relationship. Her abilities, her intelligence, her, her, her problem-solving, her ideas... Uh, the, 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 the value of her life is indescribable. She brings such value to a home because of her resourcefulness as a fruitful vine. She's, she's an amazing creation by God that it brings great value to a home. There, there's no limit to the abundance of resources that flows from the life of a godly co-captain. The depth of the benefit to that family is indescribable. She is amazing. Proverbs 31 is known as one of the great passages dealing with the resourcefulness of a godly woman. It used to be memorized by uh, young ladies. The moms would have their daughters memorize Psalm 31. It, 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 was, it is a... A, if not the, key passage in the Bible describing the, the varied resourcefulness of a woman. It it's actually was written by a king. King Lemuel wrote Proverbs 31. And he, when he wrote Proverbs 31, he started out in Proverbs 31 saying, these are the words that my mom taught me. And then he shared some lessons that he remembered when he was a little boy that his mom taught him. Amazing lessons that his mom taught him as a little boy. Uh, she must have done a really good job at molding his character and shaping his life because he grew up and became a king. 
And in his adulthood of maturity, as a king, he remembered what his mama taught him when he was a little boy. And the final lesson that his mom taught him when he was a little boy, she used to say to him, Little Lenny, marry well. Marry well. Find a virtuous woman to be your wife. Now, it's, it's going to cost you. Because back then, a person marrying a young lady would give to her father a financial uh, reimbursement for his loss. Uh, her father and her mother spent 18, 20 years, whatever many years, building character in her. And then all of a sudden, some guy rides into town and takes off with all that value. And so, the young man marrying the girl would pay a bride price to her dad. And the better job the dad and mom did at building resourcefulness into their daughter, building character into their daughter, the more valuable she would be to a man. And therefore, the more he would have to pay her dad to be able to become her husband. And, and mom taught little Lemmy when he was a little boy, find a virtuous wife. Her price will be far above rubies. Save your money for a long time, Lemmy. Because if you marry the kind of woman that will make you successful, it's going to cost you a lot. So save up a long time and present her dad with what he's losing, a recompense for what he's losing when he's losing her out of the family. And then King Lemuel's mom, when he was just little Lemmy, when he was just a little boy, his mom described for him the resourcefulness of a virtuous woman. And what she would bring into his life as his wife. Proverbs 31 becomes an amazing snapshot in history. Of what that mom considered to be a virtuous woman. That she would want her son to grow up and marry. The point of it all is that God created woman as a source of great resources, of great resourcefulness, of bringing great value into the life of a man. How blessed is a man that has the blessing of bringing into his life a woman to be his wife, who brings into his life the riches, the depth, the value of the woman that becomes his wife. And that's what Proverbs 31 is all about. Encouraging young men to choose well when they're looking for a spouse. Because she brings such great value into life. Then I want you to go back over to the New Testament for one last, one last verse. And it's in 1 Timothy again, chapter 2. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, also talking about resourcefulness and what a wife brings into a family relationship. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15 that we read a few moments ago, but we didn't read the last part of it. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Her redeeming value that removed the stigma of bringing death into humanity is that she is the source of all life. She produces the next generation. Never has a man been great in this world that was not produced by a woman. Never has a man been a president or a king who was not produced by a woman. Never has a man been successful that was not produced by a woman. She is the Source of all living. But notice the end of the verse. If they continue. 
You see, just bearing a child, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, that a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. It's not just a physical process of producing a child. It's what is done with that child until they become an adult. Because bearing a child and then leaving a child to do what they want to do, to live the way they want to live, will end up with a mom that's ashamed of her children. She removes the stigma of bringing death into humanity by producing a child, but not just any child, if they continue in the faith. And the word they, I, I checked this out just to, to refresh my mind. The they is not talking about the children. The they is talking about the women. The women that are saved in childbearing, if they, the moms, continue in faith, charity, holiness with sobriety. You see, if, if the mom continues to live a godly life described by these four terms, then she's going to raise children that, that are going to be honored in their lives. They're going to accomplish great things in their lives. They are going to save mom from the stigma of bringing death into humanity because she brought a child into humanity that was a blessing to humanity. She brought a child into humanity that was used by God to enrich other people's lives, to bless other people's lives, to help other people in their lives. And so her resourcefulness as a mom, not just burying the child, but her resourcefulness in raising the child so that the child becomes a valuable part of the human race that blesses many people. That's the crowning resourcefulness of a mom when she can produce such a child. What is, what, what is necessary to do that if she continue in faith Trusting God, that, 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 that begins at salvation, trusting God, having faith in God for salvation, but it never stops at the point of salvation. It's having faith in God every day. It's having trust in God every day. It's living my life trusting in God. It's waking up every morning having confidence in God. If she continues in a life where she trusts God ultimately and completely every day of her life and builds that into her children, you can trust God. Jehovah Jireh, he sees it before it happens and then he provides what you need to deal with it before you even know you got the problem. Jehovah Makedish, he's the power behind changing your life, molding your life, making you more like Jesus Christ. You can trust God. He's got this thing. You, you can trust him. When, when, when she continues in that and her children catch that sense of confidence in God, and not only faith, but, but charity. I, I've told you before, the old preacher, he's in heaven now, but I preached a sermon uh, over at Fairfax Baptist Temple one, one day, and, and uh, uh, there was this little old white-haired retired preacher. Uh, probably in his 80s, I don't remember. He was old, hair just as beautiful, white head of hair. And uh, he always sat right on the middle aisle. And, and I had preached, and in the message... I had dealt with a passage of Scripture. It might have been 1 Corinthians 13. I dealt with a passage of Scripture that used the word charity. And I did what I had heard all my life. I, I just casually said that what that really means is love. And after the service, he caught me in the middle aisle. He said, can I give you some advice? Leave that word alone. Charity means charity. And you say love, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts. But charity is always an act done because you care about that person who's in need. And that's what that word means in your Bible. I said, yes, sir. He was an older, wiser preacher. I said, yes, sir. I have never changed the word charity to love again. Because he was right. When a mom lives her life doing acts towards people 
who she cares about who have needs. If her life is a life of action benefiting other people, she will bear and raise and rear and mold children who care about this world, who care about hurting people in this world, and who will be active in doing for others. And then finally, sobriety, which simply means control, not loss of temper, a sound mind, the ability to think things through, make careful decisions, not emotionally based decisions. And so confidence in God, caring about other people, uh, and, and oh, I skipped one, didn't I? Holiness, Jehovah Makedish. That charity and holiness, to be holy and godly with self-control. This is a description of the value that a woman brings into a relationship. When God said he created woman to be a help, that was meat for Adam. He was not creating a second-class citizen who would be a servant girl to help out somebody. He was creating his crowning achievement in the creation week. He was creating somebody that would have the role that God the Father has and God the Son has and God the Holy Spirit has over and over and over again. Not a less intelligent, less resourceful, no ideas person that needs a man to help her get through life. He was creating his crowning creation without which man could never achieve what God created man to achieve. And he fitted her to him so as a team they could accomplish what God wanted that team to accomplish and she brings to the table life. She brings to the table atmosphere. And she brings to the table resourcefulness. That only a woman can bring. That's rich. That's the co-captain of the team. What an amazing creation. When God created a woman.